I'm going to invite Randy to come up. Uh, Randy is, uh, leads uh, uh, Multiply. Uh, if you don't know a little bit about uh, the Mennonite Brethren, uh, for many years we have uh, um, MB Mission and recently our church planting arm C2C and MB Mission uh, came together under the kind of prophetic banner of Multiply. And Randy leads that. He's the kind of apostolic figure that, that leads what goes on across the globe for us as churches. It's a real honor for us to have him sharing with us this morning. So let's welcome Randy and release you to minister. Thank you. Good Thank to you. see you. Thank you, Phil. Uh, what a gift it is to be with uh, the Willow Park family here this weekend. And thank you for hosting us as a conference so well here this weekend. You've been generous, and uh, we felt your love. And I am so excited about what God is doing in this congregation. And through this ministry strategy, and I, as we were worshiping here and just enjoying the presence of the Lord, I, I, just, uh, I had a picture here of this church, and I saw just different cars, like train cars, and the Lord is just linking them up. And I'm just, I just want to submit this to you. I think there's ministries that you have, your youth ministry, your global ministry, you're reaching the community. There's different cars, and the Lord is linking them up. He's hooking them up, and there's a big locomotive front, and His name is Jesus. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, He wants to link these ministries in new ways to strategically reach the nations with the gospel. So I'm just asking God to take this church in new, uh, new levels of effectiveness and new levels of strategic linking of your various ministries for greater impact here and around the world. And I'm thankful for your leadership, Phil, for what you're bringing. The prayer of this church, the prayer center, the red-hot furnace of prayer is the engine room in that locomotive. And so keep praying, brother. Keep calling this family to its knees in the presence of the Lord. And God will give you assignments and vision for your assignments in the kingdom. And uh, this locomotive will pull a lot of cars. So bless you, brother. And I'm looking forward to what God has in store for you. Amen. Well, I've got a family, and uh, they have been so gracious in releasing me uh, to serve the Lord. We do it together, but uh, I'm often apart. My wife Marjorie and I have been married for 32 years. And uh, this is a dear woman of God and an incredible gift to me. We have two children, Josh and Livy. And I just appreciate your prayers for our family. It's been a privilege to serve this family of churches and the body of Christ over the last many decades, and uh, we are so grateful. My kids, uh, a couple of years ago, got me a gift, and it was the, uh, a, one of these Groupon things, the opportunity to jump off a cliff. So, uh, you know, you have mixed emotions when you get that kind of a gift at Christmas time, and you wonder, what's this about? Is it the insurance money they're looking to collect, or, you know, what's up here? And it had a redemption date of July 15th. So I, I you know, I just let it go. Um, thought, no, why do I have, you know, just, I might do that or I might not do that, you know. So, uh, but up around June, I, I looked at that certificate and I thought, you know, maybe I should do this. Called the guy up and he said, yeah, there's not many spots left. But on Ju- July 15th, there is an opening. So I said, okay, let's. Let's, let's do it. So I went to this, you know, we live in Lower Mainland. There's lots of mountains you can jump off of. And so we went down there and, uh, you know, there's a little hut. And the bottom line is 
there's a waiver form, and that's really what they want you to sign when you get in there, and then they take you up the mountain, and you get set up to jump. And so when I walked up to this hut to sign the waiver, the guy walked out and greeted me, but he was walking like this. <laughs> so I, my antenna are up. I have this heightened kind of like, I'm curious, what happened to your leg? And, you know, what could happen to my leg, you know? So I asked him, and he said, you know, a customer a couple of days ago, just like you, came, and I explained what's going to happen. And I said, uh, when we get on top of the mountain, you as the customer are the engine. And when I say go, you're, you have a pilot behind you. That's this guy or someone else. But when, the, when I say go, you run. And when you run on this flat platform on top of the mountain, the, the, the parachute's going to fill up with air. And, and when we jump off the cliff together, that... That air, canopy of air in that parachute, is going to carry us. But if you don't run, and there's not momentum, and that parachute's not full of air, it's, it's, it's going to be a problem. So I explained that to the customer. He's like, yeah, 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 I got it. And when they started to run, he started running, and he got to the edge of the cliff, and then he thought, what am I doing? I'm going to run right off a cliff. This is not right. So he put the brakes on, and he said, we tumbled off the edge, and we got tangled up, and the customer landed on me, and I landed on some rocks, and the whole side of my leg is bruised, and I'm like, wow, this, this is a horrible story. So what, what did you do next? He said, I looked at the customer, and I said, that didn't go well. Would you like to try that again? I was stunned. You said that to the customer. Wow. And then you guys did it again? Yes. I thought this is as good a definition of grace as I have ever heard. Right? There's times when things don't go well. And Jesus looks at us and he says, hey, you know, would you like to try that again? Right? I've experienced that kind of grace in my life again and again. So we launch this, you know, actually they put, the pilot was a 90 pound, 95 pound Russian, Russian gymnast. No, no, no kidding. She's from Russia. She was, I didn't even know she was there. She was like my backpack. I was so full of adrenaline because this story was reverberating in my mind. When they lined up the parachute and they said, go, I started running and I ran off this cliff and I was running in the air for quite a while. And my wife was taking pictures of the whole thing. So I'm like space, I'm in a full running motion, and there's this picture of me like this. And uh, when we got back to the shop at the end of the, at the, end of the ride, uh, you know, we showed them all the pictures my wife had taken, and, and we're laughing over this picture. They called me a few weeks later, and they said, we'd like to submit that picture of you in full running motion in midair to the paragliding calendar competition. So I don't know what happened with that, but I might be Mr. May or June or something, you know, like that, right? So crazy, crazy, crazy. So anyways, we get off the cliff, and what happens is you start immediately descending. You're, you know, you're carrying some air, but you're descending because there's something powerful that's operating, and that's gravity. And as we were drifting down, I'm thinking, this is a pretty short ride. 
the pilot is heading toward a clear-cut area where the trees have been cut into something. She knows that as she uh, heads for this clear-cut, the sun is baking down on the ground, warming the air. And we know what happens when air is warmed over top of highways or roads or fields. That warm air rises. Even though you cannot see it with your, with your eyes, there is a thermal. And she knows that. She's heading for the thermal. So uh, I just, I'm along for the ride. So we just, we start drifting towards this, thir- thir- this uh, clear-cut area. And there's, she has an altimeter, which measures an increase in altitude of one meter with a beep. I haven't heard this thing the whole time. But suddenly as we start circling this clear-cut area, I hear a beep. And I can tell we're just, we must be slightly going up. And we beep, 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 beep. And now we're starting to ride an invisible escalator. And we are going straight up. Beep, 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 beep. And eventually we're looking down at the jump point. We're above the I'm thinking, this is incredible. This is powerful. She's explaining that there are eagles in the spring that take their young out, and sometimes they fly around, these paragliders. They're teaching their young to to ride the thermals. And when you can spot an area where there are thermals and you know how to read the geography, the topography, you can go from thermal to thermal to thermal. And you you can ride these things for hours you can go hundreds of kilometers. There's competitions. This is so intoxicating. Guys quit their six-figure jobs. They move to places where you can do this on sunny days. They change their whole life because of how addicting this is. This remind you of anything? They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There is a source of power that God has given us which is greater than the downward gravitational pull of sin and death. Amen? Amen. Amen. When God created us, He breathed into us the breath of life. That word is ruach. It is the wind. It is the breath of God. It is the spirit of the living God. And when he, bro- when he breathed his breath into Adam, Adam became a living being. Genesis chapter 3 gives us the rhythm of Adam and Eve's life as they walk with God. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. It's a sad story because of sin. This rhythm was broken. But if you look at the words used in that scripture, the word cool of the day is the word ruach. The wind of God. The Spirit of God. They heard the sound of the living God. And it was like a breeze. And they said, that's that's the presence of God. God's here. And they were, were 
their pattern was to be attracted and walk with God. And I don't think they were just talking about, you know, uh, in, insignificant things. I think they were processing their day. They were processing the opportunities and the challenges that were in front of them as they were governing and ruling and stewarding creation. They were walking with God and processing their life with Him. And I believe that's still God's intention for us today. That we would walk with God in the Spirit. With the Ruach of God flowing not just beside us, but through us. This is God's invitation to us as His creation. Genesis chapter 12, we've got lots of other people. We know Enoch walked with God. Enoch, you know this, was, was born when his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Adam was 600 years old. Enoch and Adam were concurrently living on earth for probably around 300 years. And I wonder if Enoch didn't ask his ancestor Adam what was it like to walk with God. We know that there weren't many people who that was... Uh, true of but Enoch was one of those and Enoch had a desire to walk intimately with God in this in the same way that Adam did we know that Noah walked with God Noah had a communion with God Abraham walked with God God made covenants with him God's promise to Abraham was I will bless you, I'll make your name great, you'll be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We know that that fully came through the coming of Jesus the Messiah and the opportunity for salvation to go to the nations through uh, this lineage of faith. But uh, the word nations and God's blessing uh, was a promise that Abraham received at age 75. Then at age 99, 24 years later, God renewed the the promise and he said to him I want to change your name I want your name to just be exalted father Abram but I want your name to be Abraham catch that Abraham that's the Ruach of God God renewed the covenant and he said i'm changing your name from exalted father to father of many literally multiply father of nations many 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 how will that be possible it'll be through my presence it'll be through my spirit that you're going to be able to accomplish what you could never do yourself and maybe there are some here today who also Understand that your call is not just to be an exalted father or mother, but your call also is to father others into the kingdom of God, to mother others into the kingdom of God. That your call is not just to this community, but also to nations. God changes our names and gives us promises that reflect our future and our destiny. Abraham, father, of many nations. We know that same promise went to David as another one of God's covenant sons. And uh, Abraham received this promise in Psalm 2. Ask of me and I'll give you nations as your inheritance. 
nations as your and the ends of the earth for your possession. God's still calling people to the nations. He's changing our names. He's still giving us destiny and purpose, and he's still empowering people today by his spirit to accomplish what he's called them to do. Tasks and assignments that are impossible apart from the anointing of the spirit of God. We desperately need the ruach of God. As David was a young boy, we know that Samuel found him and poured a flask of oil, a horn of oil over his And it wasn't just a commissioning to the kingship. It was an anointing for all that God had for him. And that single verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16 describes what happened through, uh, through that anointing. From that day on, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God came upon David in power. You don't confront lions. You don't confront bears. You don't confront giants apart from the anointing of the Spirit of God. It is not natural to go after carniv- carnivores and chase them. It's not natural to actually confront giants and, 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 uh, and defeat them. It's supernatural. It's impossible apart from the Spirit of God. It's not natural to leave your home and go to a place that God will show you and live a story of faith that is, that is unexplainable apart from God's enablement and supernatural empowerment. It's not natural to leave this community and go to some other place to see a vision that God has put in your heart realized and accomplished. You can't explain these stories of faith apart from the Ruach of God, apart from the empowerment, the direction, the leading of God. People in every generation have been filled with the Ruach of God and accomplished the purposes of God in their day. And my prayer this morning is that there would be many of us tonight or this this morning who would say yes to everything that God has got for us and in the midst of that, Yield and surrender to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives at new levels. This is not just for a few. This is now for the body of Christ. There was echoes of that through the prophets. There was pictures. Ezekiel has a picture of a valley of dry bones. And he is led by the Spirit of God into the midst of this valley of dry bones. And he prophesies to the bones. And then the Lord says, prophesy to the Prophesy to the Spirit. And Ezekiel 37 says uh, simply that, Prophesy to the breath, the Ruach, Son of Man. Say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I, I, I prophesied and I command, commanded them, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, a vast army. And there's a picture of not just ones and twos, not just Enoch's and Noah's, David's an army, a multitude of people filled with the Ruach of God, accomplishing the purposes of God in their day. There's times when we feel spiritually dead. There's times when uh, the effect of sin so robs us of our inheritance as those created in the image of God that we feel incapable of accomplishing what God's called us to do. I uh, was at a refugee camp, and I've been talking about this story this weekend in Malawi last month. Um, An amazing church planning story. An amazing story. 
a young man named Safari uh, watched his whole family massacred in his village in uh, South Kivu, a province of eastern Congo. He was a Tutsi, and in this conflict between Tutsis and Hutus, there's been incredible bloodshed, and mostly it's the Tutsis that are getting killed. So he was, um, uh, he was left for dead. He actually uh, crawled out of, that, out of that community, was in a clinic for uh, a number of weeks and survived. And then he made a four-month walking trek to safety in Malawi, which is a long way from eastern Congo. Uh, again, nothing with, nothing with him, just the shirt on his back, and he's sleeping in ditches, eating food wherever he can forage and find it. He ends up in this refugee camp. And as he shows up in this camp, he self-identifies as a missionary. A missionary sent from Congo to church. How does a refugee turn into a missionary? What has to take place in the life of somebody who's been stripped of everything, whose family has been killed, who everything has been taken away from them, and when they show up in a place, they're not just looking to get food in a food line, they're looking to plant a church. They're carrying a vision of the kingdom of God, and they believe that they've got something to offer, not just to receive. Who does that? The Ruach, the Spirit of God does that. I think of David as a political refugee living in caves. The cave of Adullam. Hundreds of guys, malcontents, discontent, indebted people. Thank you. All kinds of people show up to follow David. How do you go from being a political refugee to being somebody who influences the destiny of a nation? It's only when the Spirit of God comes and moves through your life in power. There is no other way. Safari in this refugee camp ended up uh, planting a church. Two years in, he saw the man who massacred his family at the uh, Red Cross uh, depot there in the refugee camp, and uh, he had a choice to make. How am I going to respond to this guy? Instead of walking away, instead of avoiding him, he walked straight toward him. He greeted him. Gilbert recognized Safari. He knew who he was. He was nervous. Safari said, would you like to come to my home for dinner? Gilbert said, what? Okay. Cain was home for dinner. Experienced the love of God. Experienced the grace of God. Essentially what he was saying, would you like to do this again? Spent three years in his home. Three years. Lived with that family. Responded to the gospel. Gave his life to Jesus, was discipled by Safari. He's now one of the site pastors in their network of churches. That one church in the refugee camp has become 36 churches in Malawi proper around them. There's 11,000 people that have been baptized, and that whole momentum is just growing. It is growing. It is growing. It's our, one of our most recent conferences, so to speak, of, of MB churches around the world, and it's a story... Uh, of reconciliation, but it's also a story of what happens when the Spirit of God fills people and gives them a vision for their lives that's greater than your circumstances. If we let our world name us, our names and identities will be based on how big our bank accounts are 
and what we do for a living. But when the Spirit of God fills us, we self-identify as sons and daughters of God, and we link ourselves with an eternal perspective of the potential of our lives. It changes how we see ourselves, and it changes how we see the potential of our lives in this world. Who's naming you today? Who's naming you? Our Father in Heaven wants to name us. He wants to give us a window on our best contribution, whether we're in the marketplace, whether we're in the school, or some vocational ministry, we have to find our name, our identity, our calling from the Lord God Almighty. And as He names us, He empowers us. He calls us to do everything He's called us to do. And we do it in His strength, not on our own. And we find ourselves living an eternal story, an eternal, eternal significant story with an inheritance that will last forever. This is the only way to live. Amen? This is the only way to live. So we see ones and twos. We see Davids and, and, uh, and Joshua's and others filled with the Spirit of God. But there is a day coming. Joel chapter 2 promises, I will pour out my ruach on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. There's coming a day where it won't just be a handful. It won't just be one or two here and there. There is coming a day when many, many people will experience my presence. We know Jesus came conceived by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God his whole life. We know the Spirit of God bodily descended on him in the form of a dove at the Jordan River. He was launched into public ministry, baptized by his cousin John, and he lived a Spirit-filled, a Ruach-filled life. He did things that were impossible apart from God, filling him with his presence. Jesus was our standard, not just our source of salvation, but he was our standard of what it means to be a disciple, a son of our heavenly Father. And when we pray, our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus shows us how to live that story, how to live that prayer, how to live a life that's aligned with that prayer. He publicly announced his ministry in Luke chapter 4, and he said, the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God is on me in his home synagogue because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sight for the blind, freedom for the captives, you know, good news, and just all of the different dimensions of the holistic gospel of the kingdom. And you can look at that as a text of holistic ministry, but it's so much more than that. Nothing in that text, nothing in that gospel uh, of the kingdom happens without the first line. If the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is not on us, we don't have good news for the poor. We don't have sight for the blind. We don't have a message of freedom for the captives. We don't have anything. It's not just words. It's the reality of the Spirit of God's presence on us, in us, that brings life and transformation. Amen? We need the presence of the Lord in our lives. In my life, this is not a one-time thing. When I get up in the morning, like this morning, I get on my knees beside my bed, and I humble myself before God, and I cry out to God that He'd fill me with His Spirit today. 
for the assignment and task of today. I did that this morning, last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. This is an everyday cry. And if you follow the call of God, His mission will call you to things beyond your capacity that are impossible apart from the anointing of the Spirit of God. I've never needed Jesus more than I need Him today. I've never needed the empowerment of the Holy Spirit more than I need Him today. And this should be every one of our testimony. Following the call of God requires the anointing of the Spirit of God. Jesus said, you will receive power when My Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We know what happened in the next chapter. Acts chapter 2 is the Spirit of God landed on 120 people in a prayer meeting. It's an incredible story. Because God used uh, a bunch of guys who didn't really have a clear picture of the potential of their lives. There was discipleship for a few years, but there is a radical demarcation point in Acts chapter 2. Radical. You can't explain the book of Acts apart from Acts chapter 2. I see business guys running their own businesses, running fishing, a fishing business, called by Jesus, feeling inadequate, failing, getting restored, failing, getting restored, stumbling around. Peter was the leader of that fishing crew, and uh, when Jesus met him on the beach, John 21, he was a defeated man. He was a man who had rejected Christ He had denied him three times. He had led his buddies back into the fishing business. And he was a discouraged man. When Jesus restored him with these simple words, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you agape? Are you willing to love me in a costly way as I've loved you in a costly way? Not only was Peter restored, but I think the, the affections of his heart were stirred up. His first love for Jesus was stirred up and awakened so much so that he had the the capacity to go back to Jerusalem and lead a 10-day prayer meeting. And those 120 people didn't know what was coming, but they were seeking the face of their Father in heaven. They were crying out to God. And as they prayed, uh, they were surrendering their lives. I can imagine them dealing with all of their shortcomings and failures I can imagine dying to self. I can imagine what happens when you're in a room with a bunch of people for 10 days. It's not a one-hour prayer meeting. It's a 10-day prayer meeting. You're a different person through that process. And at the end of it, the Spirit of God blows through that room. The fire of God lands on each person. And the Ruach of God fills them. And they are never the same. Have you ever heard some of the transformation or watched the transformation videos from years ago? There was one that I will never forget from the Inuit, uh, northern, uh, I think Rankin Inlet or someplace up in Hudson Bay. But it uh, it was a story of how the Spirit of God landed on this Inuit community. It was a church that was being led into revival. They were... uh, uh, they were led to repent. They brought all their pornography and all kinds of stuff, and they put it on the ice floe, and they burnt it all. And then they went back to church, and the Spirit of God landed on that group of, of, uh, of Christ's followers, and it 
the, the, somebody left the audio track on, and that's the sound you hear in, uh, in, on that video. And it is a, uh, it's, not, it's not a little whisper. It's not a breeze. It is a freight train. Went through that church. A freight train. It's like a hurricane just blew through that place. And it went on and on and on and on. And you're not wondering what you're going to do. Everyone in the place was flat on the floor. Flat on their face before God. As the holiness and glory of Almighty God filled that place. They were never, ever the same. May it be so, Lord God. Visit us with your presence. We desperately need the Ruach of God to accomplish your mission purposes in this generation. We need you, God. We need you. You know, and I was with these refugees there in, uh, in Malawi. The first day was spent in prayer and fasting. A whole day in their, in their humble little church, and we were gathered together there just crying out to God. No instruments, no electricity. Worship was just 